One of my inspirations for doing any kind of volunteer work is James chapter 2, where he says, faith without works is dead. I volunteer at Christ Church through the choir, which I love, and um, working at Changing Closets on Saturday mornings and throughout the week. Changing Closets is a resale shop in North Chicago. The proceeds from the uh, sales there go to parents who want to put their children in Sheila Daniels Christian Academy but can't afford the tuition. We provide employment for one male and he is somebody that is in a transitional state and comes from either Eddie Washington home or Rope House. Uh, so that's great. Customers will come in or just residents and they just want somebody to pray with them. So we provide that. We also give some of our clothing to another clothing pantry in North Chicago who just gives the clothes away to people that are really destitute. We give some of our clothing to missionaries who take them to third world countries. Something that's really important to both my husband and myself are kids. We have six of them. We love them. We have five boys and one girl, and three of them live away, three of them live close. Because of our love for children, that's another reason that I like to volunteer at Changing Closets, because the proceeds go to children to go to this Christian Academy. But my husband and I also have done Safe Families for Children and fostered four kids throughout the years. Um, and I got involved because of a friend of mine with Big Brothers Big Sisters and I currently have a little sister who is not so little anymore, she's 22. We started together when she was 11 and she wanted to go back to school recently and through the CARS ministry I was able to get her a car so that she was able to attend CLC. And the CARS ministry is just a wonderful service that our church also provides. And to any of you that might have a car you want to donate, I'm sure they can use them. It was a wonderful thing for my little sister Zanara to be able to get a car this way that she otherwise couldn't have possibly afforded. What I would like to share with my Christchurch family is that volunteering does not only help others, it's great for yourself. It's a wonderful thing to do, and I would encourage you all to get involved in some form of ministry. My name is Lena, and I'm going to reach. That is a very encouraging and inspiring example for us to follow. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. I want to say a special welcome to those of you joining us at Highland Park Crossroads and my brothers and sisters in the 01. Hello. Um, well, if, you're being, if, we're, if we're being generous, you could call me a frugal man. Others would call me cheap. Uh, I've got four kids, so, you know, we've got to be careful about how we spend our money uh, and so on. But if I'm being honest... The reality is that many times I'm not just frugal, I am annoying about my frugality. And it's not really just about saving money. Many times it's, it's really about winning. I want to win at the money thing. It's the thrill of getting a great deal even when it's not Black Friday. It's why I have been a loyal Aldi shopper for over 20 years. Really, I'd probably an Aldi evangelist. If you'd like to talk to me later about the joys of shopping at Aldi, I'll tell you all about 
how great it is, Shopping. It's why I love $5 Movie Tuesdays at Marcus Cinemas in Gurney. And if you've not heard about it, if you want to talk to me later, about it, I'll be happy to tell you about how great it is. $5 every movie on a Tuesday at Marcus Cinemas in Gurney. It's why for my wife's birthday last year, we took the whole family down to the Village Discount Outlet in Chicago, where we said to them, get whatever you want in the store. We got 23 items and we spent 50 bucks. It was incredible. And I know what you're thinking. What a great husband that you are to take your wife to the thrift store on her birthday. I know. I tell her that a lot. I'm, I'm quite a catch. Um, but it's not just the thrill of winning. There is this dark side to the frugality when you lose, because sometimes you do lose. Like a couple of years ago, I was on vacation with my family, and we got this rental car that has, I don't know if you are familiar with the E85 gas that goes into some cars. And in some cases, it is significantly cheaper than the regular, you know, unleaded stuff. So I, of course, you know, did a little internet search to find out where you can find this E85 gas. That's right. I'm on vacation Googling gas prices. That's right. I'm quite a guy. And uh, I find that there's this place. It's the HEB gas station right down the road, and it's 50 cents per gallon cheaper. And I'm so excited to fill up that minivan with, you know, fill up the tank and save all this money. But when I go to the HEB, I went to the wrong HEB. This one does not have the E85, and we don't have time to drive the 10 minutes north to the, to the right one that has the cheap gas. And so there I am, filling up the gas tank. And I'm saying, I, I'm not proud of this, but I said out loud to no one, as I'm filling, every two gallons, I said, there, there's a dollar. There's $2. It was just eating inside of me that I was just throwing this money away. It was such a terrible, terrible waste. An injustice was happening. Hang on to that story for a moment as we read from Mark chapter 14. You can turn in your Bibles. You can turn in your devices. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. It's a story about Jesus, and it starts this way. While he was in Bethany... Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The reason that I bring up the, the story of the gas is that I see myself in the indignant ones. I was very concerned about my 10 bucks. And I wasn't even like our friends in verse 5 who wanted to give the money to the poor. I, I, I wasn't going to give the 10 bucks away. I wanted it for me. Mostly, I just wanted the satisfaction of knowing that I had won. I am not proud of the fact that I live my life too often really concerned mostly about me. And when I live life cautiously and carefully and frugally. It's only natural that that is going to spill over into how I bring myself 
to Jesus. I think if I'm being honest, I, I come into my relationship with Jesus the same way. I am I'm balanced and I'm sensible. Well, that's not what we see, of course, from our hero in the story, this woman. She enters the home, she goes to Jesus, Jesus and she lavishly, wastefully worships Jesus by anointing him with perfume. So let's get some context for our story today. This is the same story reported in Matthew 26 and in John 12. Jesus is in Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives. It's where Lazarus lives, and his last stop, Jesus' last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. He's at the home of, it says, Simon the leper. Simon was a common name, and so uh, it would be normal to have a way to, to differentiate the different Simons. It is likely, uh, of course, that this man was, was a leper, but he had probably been healed of his leprosy. Uh, if they were in his home, it would, he would not, if he had leprosy, they would not have been allowed to have been there. He would have been unclean, but he probably would have been healed. But the nickname, the unfortunate nickname, stuck. Um, in Matthew and Mark's version, the woman is anonymous, but in John 12, she is named as Mary, who is the sister of Lazarus and Martha. She has some very expensive perfume. It says it's made of pure nard, which is an aromatic oil from a root native to India. She breaks the jar. She pours all of the perfume on Jesus' head. So, what's the deal with the the perfume. Well, it's likely that it was a family heirloom. It would have been passed down from mother to daughter. Probably would have been the most expensive thing that the family owned. Something that would have been guarded and cherished in the family. And the other notable thing, I think, is that you have this woman who is entering a, a man's world, right? And just sort of coming in and then doing this very shocking, surprising thing. Now, what would this be like? Well, What's happening is they're having this, this, this feast, this celebration. And in the context here, it would not have been strange for her to have brought some perfume and anointed Jesus with the perfume. It was a common custom, but Mary takes it to a different level. Most of us just got finished with uh, our country's most famous feast celebration. It's Thanksgiving, and you might have this custom in your family of perhaps going around at some point and everyone saying what they're thankful for at Thanksgiving. So <clears throat> what this would have been like, imagine in the story, uh, similar in our context, if you were doing this, this custom in your setting and when it got to, say, your Aunt Mary, uh, she brought out the family heirloom vase that was appraised at over $100,000 and in a moment of rapturous gratitude for her family, she smashed the vase on the floor. Okay, that would have been a little weird, right? Would have, uh, things just got weird here. Uh, that's, I'm just trying to set up what sort of a, a record scratch moment this must have been when in our Bible story, this woman would have taken this, this heirloom, this thing that everybody knew was the most expensive thing that she owned, and wasted it all in that moment on Jesus. No one really knows what to do. It's, it's a strange thing to do, and, and those there begin to rebuke the woman, and they, they critique her. They're indignant. They, they say it was a, just a waste for her to, to do this when, when that money could have been used on the poor. Jesus hears what they're saying. He rebukes them. 
which is an interesting thing because Jesus obviously cared about the poor. And so they have to be going, well, come on, Jesus has to be on our side on this one, right? He says something very interesting, which we'll unpack more in a little bit. But he basically says that she should not be critiqued, but should be commended. For the balance of our time today, I would like to share with you four things I think we need to learn from our story. The first point is this. When others act radically, it's easy to critique. Say what you will about the religious, but we are quick to critique, aren't we? I know I am. I know I am ready to critique whenever I get that chance. Oh, what? You know, if they had only thought about it this way and done it that way instead of this way, and why are they doing it this way? Man, I don't know. And as I would talk about different things, one of my favorite expressions from my father, as we would share about this, is he would say, well, I guess they, you, uh, you weren't home when they called to ask your opinion, were you? And I, I sure wasn't, and they never leave a message either. It's, it's really unfortunate, because if only they would come to me, I could solve all of the problems. But it's so easy to critique, especially as it relates to money. Why are they spending the money that way? Oh, they should definitely spend the money this way. Well, I learned a long time ago in uh, some training for short-term missions that when we are ready to judge, when we're ready to point out something is wrong in, in a different context, it's better to say instead, that's wrong, but just to say it's different. And instead of saying, how can I critique this? We should instead say, how can I learn from this? Because it's not our job to judge those who do things differently, especially those who act radically. I'm reminded of King David in 2 Samuel 6. They're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, and it says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing just a linen ephod. Basically, he is dancing in his underwear. He's leaping, and he's dancing around. He He looks like a fool. And as he comes into his house, his wife is watching him, and she says she despises him for it. And she, she acts, you know, sort of sarcastically and says, oh, you've really made a, quite a show of yourself as the, as the king. And his response is to say, you kidding me? I'll, even, I'll, I'll be even more undignified than this. Because I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself fully to my God. I'm reminded of the radical acts of missionaries who leave the comforts of their country to go to another country to share the gospel of Jesus with others. Perhaps the most famous of this uh, would be those who, the five men who went to the jungle of Ecuador in 1956, 1955 and 56, so that they could share the gospel of Jesus with the Warani Indians and who in January of 56, five men were killed by the men that they were trying to reach. It was an international news story. And some of you may know that uh, the most famous of them is Jim Elliott, but one of the, the men that was killed, Pete Fleming, whose wife Olive Fleming, later married Walt Liefeld, who was the senior pastor here in the early 90s. Lots of critique coming out of that event. Lots of critique of people saying, why were they, why were they doing that? And this is such a terrible waste. They left five widows. They left children fatherless. They're being critiqued even to this day. And yet, their act ended up bringing the gospel to these people. They, their, their lives that, that only knew violence before, they, they learned love. And, and some of the very people that were the murderers came to faith through that. 
not to mention the inspiration to countless others that would, that would follow their lead into going out into the world and telling others about Jesus. Now, this is not to say that every act, every crazy act by a Christian person is to be commended. There are certainly times when Christians have done foolish or misguided things. But it's not our job to always police that. And, and we should seek first to understand before we jump to critique. Because it's possible that the person you're critiquing and the person that I'm critiquing is the very person that God wants us to learn something from. So, that's point number one. We should watch our critiques of the radical acts of other followers of Jesus. Point number two is that our love for God should occasionally look odd to an outsider. When we look back at our lives, when I look back at my life, I think I will regret sometimes the ways that I didn't take more risks in my faith. The times when I let the fear of what others would think limit my, my convictions and my passions in following Jesus. And if the lives of believers look exactly the same as unbelievers, I think there's something wrong. I remember hearing a pastor years ago say, you know, when you look out at, at the lives of, of Christians and, and they have the exact same life, like in every single way as the lives of, of people who aren't following Jesus, there's something wrong. First Peter talks about the idea that, that we're to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they will glorify God. So are there enough good things that we are doing that someone would be able to accuse us of, of, of something, but then go, well, look at the good that they're doing. Look at the way that their life is different than, say, my life. So if we spend our money the same way, if we spend our leisure time the same way, if, if, if nothing we do ever looks even a little bit out of place, there might be something wrong. It is very easy to live in suburban America and to begin to slowly adopt the priorities of the world as our own. And if nothing we, we do even looks a little bit strange to an outsider, we might need to reevaluate. So there should be occasion for our love for God to look a little bit odd to an outsider. Point number three is this one. It's probably the most important one, which is that Jesus is worthy of lavish worship. He's worthy of lavish worship. I don't think I own anything uh, that's worth a year of my wages. Most of us don't. But the idea of taking that thing and offering it to Jesus as an act of worship doesn't sound like something that I would do. But it should. Because Jesus is worthy of the best things that we have. Our very lives, in fact. He is worthy of lavish worship in everything that we do. We have this incredible example on in the way that this woman worships Jesus. She, she gets it. She brings her most expensive item to Jesus, and she just wastes it on him. It's not practical. It's not being a good steward of her resources. And yet, this woman does it, and, and Jesus doesn't stop her. This is not, when I say worship, this is not to be understood primarily in the context of singing, although that certainly has something, there's, there's some aspect of that that's true. But it's, it's not just sing more or sing louder or, or, or come to church. Uh, the deal is that our relationship with God is more about love than anything else. Some of you men might have been at the forum that we had in September where we had a, a speaker, Jack Deere, who spoke. And he said this, that 
uh, I, I went up to him afterwards to make sure I got it just so, because I really appreciate the way he, said, the way he said this. He said, discipleship, which is the act of helping other people follow Jesus. He said, discipleship is not primarily about passing on mentoring skills. It's about loving someone and teaching them to love what you love. It's, it's about love. It's about loving someone and teaching others to love what we love. Our relationship with God is about a love relationship. It's about, first and foremost, a life of heart devotion to God. It's about loving Jesus. And this is broader than just worship. <clears throat> and I've learned a lot from this church about, this is not about the, the oh, is, it, is, it, is it praise choruses or is it hymns? Is it guitars or is it organ? Yeah, it's, it's all of that. That's, that's not the, the, what, what should be pitted against one another. What's pitted against one another is it's about real worship versus worship that is just going through the motions. The question is, do you bring all of yourself into whatever experience you have of worshiping God, whether that's in singing, in your finances, in your free time, in how you treat your family, and how you treat your employees, and how you treat your employer? Another way to put this is, does your lavish devotion to Jesus carry over into every aspect of your life. Because what can sometimes happen in our relationships with God is that we forget that it's about love. It, it can easily become about just right behavior. It's about judging others. It's about fear. It's about a transaction rather than about a, a love relationship between a creator and his creation. And sometimes we, we just miss the idea that we've got to stop and ponder who God is and really drink deeply of God. I read something this week um, in, a, in a devotional book that uh, it was written hundreds of years ago, a guy named Gregory of Nyssa, 4th century. And he wrote a lot about man's love relationship with God. And he compared the contemplation of God to a person looking at a spring that bubbles up from the earth. Now, uh, some of you might have never had occasion to see a freshwater spring. I have camped down in Texas. Uh, it, it's, it's a remarkable thing to see that you've just got this rock, and out of the rock, there's just water, and it's just, just pouring, 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 nonstop water is coming. And I'm sure there's some scientific explanation, but it's kind of like a miracle to me. I don't, where is it coming from, right? It's just amazing. It doesn't stop coming. So, uh, Gregory of Nyssa explains this about contemplating a spring and comparing it to the contemplation of God. He says, as you, as you came near the spring, you would marvel, seeing that the water was endless, as it constantly gushed up and poured forth. Yet you could never say that you had seen all the water. How could you see what was still hidden in the bosom of the earth? Hence, no matter how long you might stay at the spring, you would always be beginning to see the water. It is the same with one who fixes his gaze on the infinite beauty of God. It is constantly being discovered anew, and it is always seen as something new and strange in comparison with what the mind has already understood. And as God continues to reveal himself, man continues to wonder, and he never exhausts his desire to see more, since what he is waiting for is always more magnificent more divine than all he has already seen. So my question to you is, when is the last time 
that you stopped and pondered the beauty and the majesty of God. I hope it's at least once a week when you come to church, but I wonder if even when we come to church, sometimes we show up at church and it's like, how you doing? Okay, we're going to sing, we're going to listen. All right, out the door we go. There has never been, I think, a more difficult time in human history, and some historian may, may debate me. It has never been harder, I think, to stop, to just stop and ponder the beauty of God. And as I was thinking about what this was like, I was reminded of this movie clip that we're going to watch in a minute. It's from the, the classic uh, movie, 80s movie, Chevy Chase, Vacation. Just a little uh, parents warning. Watch the version okay, that they go. show on. on TV uh, because it, that's already edited. And then all the little stuff, stuff that you don't, you don't want to watch. But here's a little 12-second clip just to give us a sense of what this uh, stopping sometimes looks like in our context. Okay, let's go. Come on. <laughs> Where's Edna? She's in the car. Good. Come on, kids. Get your butts in the car. Go. Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon? Now, in the context of the movie, he had stolen some uh, money, and so he was needing to hurry. But I feel like that's what we do, right? We're like, okay, yeah, sure, 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 I can stop, yep. Okay, what's next? Off we go. Even when we come into our times of, of, of personal devotion, I've been really challenged uh, that when we come, we have to stop first. Because sometimes, okay, what, what, what am I reading? All right, got Bible verse, good. Okay, am I praying? Good, check, pray. All right, we're done, we're off. No, 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 no. Just stop, just stop. Turn the phone off. Turn it on, do not disturb. Just, just rest. Be still, know that God is God. That is what we need. We need to ponder that. We need to remember that our relationship with God is about love. We need to stop long enough that we can gaze upon God to see him as he is and worship him with all of our might because he's worthy of lavish worship. Which brings me to my final point. Point one, when others act radically, it's easy to critique. Point two, our love for God should occasionally look odd to an outsider. Three, Jesus is worthy of lavish worship. And four, when we worship Jesus wastefully, the gospel is proclaimed. For this woman, her worship of Jesus in anointing him with perfume became a preparation for his burial. So in this story, the, the worship points not only to Jesus himself, but it points to the cross. It's a symbolic act, of course, but it's a, a significant one. Uh, I don't know that she even knew what she was doing, but, but Jesus takes her act and points to the gospel, that he will soon die so that others may live. See, Jesus knows what no one else does, which is that he is about to die a criminal's death. A a person who has died in that context would have been uh, anointed. They would have been anointed before they were buried. But with one exception, a criminal would not have been anointed after they were died before they were buried. So what Jesus is saying is, I need to be uh, prepared for my burial now because I will not have a chance to be once I am crucified. I find Jesus' final statement here very interesting. He says that wherever the gospel is preached, people will tell about this woman's act. Now, I, 
I don't know about you, but I've never heard a gospel presentation that included any mention of this story. But perhaps we should include this story in a gospel presentation because it points to something so important, which is the value of Jesus, the worth of Jesus. He is the greatest treasure in the world. He is the answer to our heart's greatest longing. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our very lives. He's, he's worthy of the most expensive thing that we own. And following him is not a waste. It's actually the, the best way that we could spend our lives. And people struggle with this. People wonder if they are wasting their lives. Uh, there's this thing that perhaps you've heard this acronym, perhaps you haven't, but it's FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Young people in particular struggle with this, they, they, and they do it in small ways. Just the fear of missing out, first of all, is it, <clears throat> it, it, you know, are people hanging out without me? Is there something going on? Or am I at the, the lame hangout, and there's like a cool hangout somewhere else? That, that question is always sort of, you know, wondering. And then you've got the great FOMO inducer, social media. So they, they see, especially this is a struggle for college freshmen who might be struggling at their colleges, and they see the Instagram posts of people who are just apparently having a fabulous time at their colleges because no one is posting when they are sad or when they don't look perfect. They're posting only the great things and showing that everything is great. And so there's just this rampant FOMO happening in small ways, but there's also FOMO in big ways. People asking, am I missing out on something by saying yes to Jesus? Maybe some of you are asking that question today. Maybe you're looking at all the things that you're giving up to follow Jesus. In our worst moments, we can focus on that. We can focus on, you know, I'm, I'm giving all this money away when I could be spending it on myself. I'm saying no to these things that would really feel good but, but I'm doing it to honor Jesus. When we, when we focus on what we're missing out on, we are missing the heart. We're missing out on the incredible deal that we're getting. It's actually the opposite of what we're giving up. It's actually what, what we're getting for the little that is asked of us. It's the heart of the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, verse 44. One of the shortest parables, just two sentences where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that a man stumbles on. So he's this worthless field, and he stumbles on this incredible treasure. And so he hides the treasure, and in, it says in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has to buy that field. He's joyful about it. Well, others watching this guy, they're going, why is this guy so joyful? He's just, look at this guy. He sold everything he had to buy that worthless field. What is wrong with that guy? People are just completely, this guy's out to lunch. Why is he joyful? Because he sees the treasure that is his. And all he has to do is just sell this, this stuff, which is here today and gone tomorrow. But he has this treasure that is the most valuable thing he could ever dream of. What an incredible deal he's getting to give up his stuff to gain this valuable treasure. I mentioned Jim Elliott earlier, who was one of the men killed in Ecuador. I want to close with his famous quote where he says, 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The best use of my one life is found when I give it to Jesus, when I radically and wastefully worship him with all that I have. Would you please pray with me? I just want to give us time to stop. Lord, we just want to stop and come before you with grateful hearts. I want to thank you for your incredible love for us. Help us to see the treasure that you are, Lord, to worship you in all of your goodness and to see this incredible deal that we are getting, that we are giving up this thing that we can't even keep to gain something that we will never lose. Amen.